Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today I'm here with Tony and Son, and we're talking about. Let me see. And I, you know what? I, I, I said it right off camera, and I'm just not brave enough to say it right on camera. So I'm just gonna turn around and just have. I'm gonna ask Tony to say it for me. <laughs> Tony, can you tell me the name? Because I know I wrote it down, and I'm pretty sure I'm not. I'm positive because I wrote it down here. It will be spelt correctly. Is it Wahiwa Kajakembo? Is that right? Exactly. You All said right. it perfect. Okay, I did it. Ooh, I'm on a roll today. You Train for Life Center. That's the that's the title of the podcast. We're gonna be talking about uh Tony and Sonny's journey in martial arts. So to get started, let's get started with you, Tony. So how did you get into Kajakembo? How did you get started? Um what 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 did you do another some of my some of my guys I have on here they started in some of their art. How, um, how, what got you into martial arts? How'd you get started? This one's real easy. I, I was forced into it, uh, born into it. And I, honestly, I don't have any idea how to be another normal kid. Um, just as recent as yesterday I'm, or the Thursday, I was telling kids, you know, my dad made me do training first. That was more important than my homework. Today, we push you guys to do your homework first. Then you come train. No, I would be up till midnight doing my homework. Training came first. And we trained four days a week. And then me and my brother, we would train with the adults also. So we would be there first session, second session, four days a week and doing our homework till midnight. So, yeah, we were born in it. Yeah, we had no choice. How about you, Sonny? <laughs> <laughs> Similar story, I think. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, I started training at a young age, you know, obviously third generation, um, Kajikembo martial artist. Um, fortunately, um, I was able to explore a lot of different, um, sports and arts competitively outside of martial arts, um, in my adolescent years and my teenage years. Um, and then I kind of just drifted for a while. You know, after high school, I didn't know what I want to do, but I was always able to lean on, you know, martial arts to kind of balance me back out. And, uh, you know, once I was, you know, done with school, I, I fell back into uh, martial arts and kind of just turned it into uh, my life. So, And if you, if my listeners haven't caught on, uh, Tony and Sonny are related. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Tony is uh, Tony is Sonny's dad, um, and so in that, and this is kind of a different dynamic because normally I, I interview people one at a time. So like usually they'll have like one person talk about the other person like as a third person. Now you're both in the same room talking about it. Um, so I'm gonna, say, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna juggle this real quick. Let's start with the. So you you were saying you're third generation, right? Yeah, third generation so, so, your, so your dad's second generation his dad's first so you're coming from the second generation doing kajikembo how did uh we'll talk about the changes 
from Tony to Sunny. Let's start with Tony. You start doing Kajukembo. When did you? What what year is this? You start training in Kajukembo. Oh, gee, we're looking probably. 1957, 1958, somewhere around there. That's when I officially started training. But what was interesting, Dad said before we get on his mat, he wants us to go learn how to fall. So he had us go take judo for a year with some other judo instructor he knew on base, on Travis Air Force Base. So yeah, every Saturday, my brother and I would go do judo before we actually officially started with Kaju on the mat. And you're coming up as a kid, you're doing judo. Did you um what did you compete in when you were when you were working your way up and oh and, okay, that's interesting. In the judo aspect, there was no competition, just what goes on amongst each other in the same dojo. But as a kid growing up, going to tournaments, I was estimating the other day with one of the other students. I've probably been in about 30, 40 tournaments in my life that I've actually competed in from a little kid all the way up to my young uh, teenage years, older teenage years, I got married young. So my career kind of stopped for a minute and then it came back on by urgings of some friends. But nevertheless, lots of tournaments. We traveled all over the place and just training with dad. I'm gonna use this word, it was with him, it was brutal. He, he literally, uh, I'm not going to say he had no mercy, but he, he has, he's that guy who has that soft heart once you get through to it. But up front during the training, and uh, there was more of fear uh, that a lot of the students had, but it also resulted in respect, and the respect was always mutual. As soon as the training ends, we're back to normal people. And that's the way dad said, when we're on the mat, we're this, when we're off the mat, you're back to normal, but you still carry what it is that you've learned with you in your mind, in your body, in your spirit, off the mat. So yeah, everywhere we went, we'd go to parks and we do little demonstrations, just we're at a picnic or something by ourselves, just to stay sharp. And, you know, it was impromptu and stuff like that. Wherever we were, we'd be at Lake Berryessa uh, swimming, and next thing you know, we're working out on the on the edge of the beach there. And it was really, really cool. We'd be in a baseball game that between the breaks on a baseball game amongst each other. We we're back to training, and it, you know, with towels wrapped around our waist, and just that was our life. We didn't know anything else. So I grew up that way, and just talking about the 30, 40 different tournaments. I, I maybe had my share of second and third places, small, you know, few here and there, but <laughs> I always tell the students, there's no problem with being losing because I've only won one tournament in my entire life where I became grand champion as a kid though, but that was it. And so there's nothing wrong with losing. I tell them you learn more from losing than you will from winning. And I appreciated that from my dad. Yeah, oh, one thing he did do, he would poke me in my head, poke me in my head, poke me in the head and say, you think too much. That's why. That's why you're too slow. You think too much. I know what he was getting at now as I got older. You learn that later in life after you get over the fear of getting poked in the head. And so how about you, Sonny? So you, you were, you were, 
Tony, you were competing in um, and just to just for my viewers, because my viewers come from all styles. So you were competing in the open martial arts tournaments, uh, open divisions, the open what? Like, Correct. The open karate tournaments where they have like guys from different styles, taekwondo, karate, and kajukenbo, yes. and that kind of stuff, right? And exactly. they have um, they had the the divisions are usually uh, point continuous, which looks like kickboxing, but they don't allow leg kicks depending on the division. And depending on the play, there's a lot of variables here because I've heard some people, oh, they don't allow leg kicks, and then people throwing leg kicks and they're doing takedowns. So that's kind of, wow. I guess it depends. It always depends on the on the referees to mitigate that. But right. just so the public kind of gets an idea of what kind of competition we're talking about here, it it, it does it looks very similar to kickboxing. That's what I can say. And then they also have will have a forms division to get grand champion for most of these things. You have to place first in all the divisions, and then you get to compete in the grand champion. Um, the grand That's champion. Exactly. So they have like a bunch of different divisions and weight classes, and then they have this final setting called grand champion, where you have to beat the people that won those divisions. Usually, depending depending on the tournament, it might be in point or it might be in continuous, depending on what they choose at that time. So that's my right. I got that psychology background, so I always got to define everything. Sorry, I appreciate your patience. With no, this. that's okay. Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. But back during my time, I'm talking late 60s, early 70s, there it was just everybody fought. Taekwondo, uh, Kung Fu guys, everyone fought each other. It didn't matter uh, what style you were from, what's your background. Like you said kickboxers would be in the terms. We all fought each other. It didn't matter. All they did was line you up, short to tall. Whoever was standing next to you is who you fought. And if that's your classmate, they'll grab him, put him in another part of the line, and that's who you fought. And then the winners, of course, they reline you up, and then that's who you fight until everyone's eliminated. And that was basically it. It didn't matter who it was. It did not matter what stopped. Matter of fact, those days, we didn't have gear, no headgear. We only taped our hands just to tighten up our fists and tighten up our toes. And that was it. That was it. Sometimes we wore cups, sometimes we didn't. Sometimes we wore a mouthpiece because nobody said it was mandatory. So we just did whatever was comfortable. And that was how we fought back in our days. So now jumping generations here. Sonny, you said you competed in different types of sports, different things. Can you break that down a little bit? Um, yeah. So I started uh, training college. Uh, I was like about five years old. What is that? In 1987. Um, back in my grandpa's old Whitmore gym in uh um back home in hawaii um there and you know at the waiwa rec center um and then you know competitive as a little kid you know five six seven eight years old up to i think i got to like purple belt at that time uh we competed you know it was fun we traveled you know inner island to compete um and i enjoyed it you know uh it got tough um you know around nine years old so you know i kind of transitioned into more team sports um you know football baseball um soccer i you know i did a little bit of everything man i I danced hula um yeah so you know back home you know it was just a little bit of everything you know i was pretty fortunate to be able to have a, a, a broader range of activities as a kid um and then when i turned about you know 19 20 years old um 
you know, semi pretending like I was going to college. Um, I don't know what I want to do. So I just found myself back at the dojo uh, with dad and my sister, and my brothers, um, training at the, uh, when we're back home here in Sassoon. Um, what is that? Nine, uh, 2001, 2002. Um, I'm about right. Yeah. Like 2000, 2001. Yeah. yeah. Um, training at the uh, uh, Joseph Nelson Community Center here in Sassoon. Um, got back into com- competition as far as sport karate goes. Um, got up to about my green belt, I believe it was. And I don't know the, you know, competitively the, the sport point karate just wasn't enough for me. Uh, I wanted more, I want, you know, it's just kind of, I grew up watching, you know, UFC was amazing to me and, I wanted to tap into that, so I started uh, training and competing in MMA. Um, that kind of halted my Kajikembo training. Um, you know, I, I fought and competed all over the place. The first fight was in New Mexico. Fought up in what Humboldt and Air Force bases and all kinds of before uh, before yeah Reno Tahoe. Fought all over the place um, before amateur MMA was even legal. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, I found out the hard way that my skill set was not a complete skill set. And um, that's when I, you know, turned to training, you know, jujitsu, um, adding a little bit of judo, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai. Um, in hopes that, you know, that would further my fight career. And then I realized that I was old already. <laughs> and uh, now I uh, I own, I teach, I coach, and I train. And this the, the, during that journey, you said you were doing, um, you were training at different places. Where were you training to for your jiu-jitsu? Uh, when I first started, actually, MMA. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I actually started training with the uh, the Rappacons. I trained with uh, Rappacon Martial Arts. Um, their son, uh, Rocky, and uh, several of their black belts, Brandon Madali. Um, and uh, Rocky was training jiu-jitsu, I believe, at Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu at the time in Pleasant Hill or Pleasanton. And then uh, he was kind of bringing it back. Um, so... It was kind of like a, a learn one day and learn it from somebody else another day. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, no disrespect to anybody. It just, you know, in, in retrospect, it was probably not the best uh, jiu-jitsu training. But when I did start taking it serious, um, I was training at a gym in Vallejo. Um, as far as jiu-jitsu goes, um, in Vallejo that had a... Um, it's called Knuckle Up. They were an affiliate for Caesar Gracie. Um, so I started training over there under uh, who was the instructor at the time? Who was before Omar? There was an instructor before Omar. Shit, I don't remember. There was a few instructors that kind of came in and out. Um, and that's actually when I threw a gi on for the first time, put a white belt on. That's what. 12 years ago, I started training uh, actual, like, gi jiu-jitsu. 
Well, I don't know if you're trying to hide your age, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll openly say I think me and you're about the same age after what you just said. I'm 41. So I think yeah, we're, I think I'll be, I think, uh, I'll be I think 41 in July. Oh yeah, welcome to the club. As we said, I've, I've got my tens unit on my back. So. <laughs> That's it. Like the people, for, forty is a weird age for martial artists because the rest of the world's like, oh, you're so young. And I don't feel, I don't feel no, young at all. <laughs> yeah that's just like it's just the public says i'm young uh thank you i always say thank you very much my body is telling me otherwise um, <laughs> especially I mean, when, you, when it comes to fighting right because if you really look at it and you look at any if you want to look at sport fighting i mean i think i'm surprised there's certain sport fighting like in brazilian jiu-jitsu they have the what they, they call them master classes i call them the old nine classes but <laughs> they have they have more of an opportunity yeah. for older athletes to continue to compete. I think in boxing, if you're really good, like Mayweather, I'm not, I'm not a favorite, but some people fucking hate Mayweather, and I get it. But if you do have a style where you yeah. don't get hit that much, you can do it a little longer. But for the most part, you don't get to do this for very long. And if you're doing college, you can, but if you're doing MMA, and I did MMA, eh, there's a very like small window of opportunity. And, and yep. even the smallest mistake, I, 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 I had to retire early. <laughs> Because I took on a, uh, it was supposed to be an MMA match. The guy didn't make weight, so they're like, "Do you still want to fight?" I'm like, "Well, I'm here." <laughs> so like, and I had to fucking cut weight. Like, I'm not. What am I supposed to do? Of course, I'm gonna fight. So like, they're like, "All right, well, do you mind doing a catch wrestling match?" I'm like, "Never done catch wrestling. What are the rules? Okay, let's do it." And I tore my LCL. I won. And I tore my LCL. And there it goes. Right, I made my mistake. Like, not even doing the thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I ended up. Right. I retired. I, my intent at 38, my intent at 38 was to was to was to win an MMA fight in Japan because I, I won one. I won a I won a tournament when I was younger in the U.S., but I, I wanted to win one in Japan. That was like my my goal, and that cool. got that got cut short by that injury, and then COVID uh -huh. hits. <laughs> then COVID hits, and I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I guess uh, I guess I'm done. <laughs> so like, just to give an example to everyone, listen, yeah. like, this, when we yeah. say we're old. I know someone was like, oh, no, they're younger. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure right Tony now. sees us as young men, right? Tony's like, hey, you guys are young. Stop your bitching. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that. Yeah. Looking at a 70-year-old dude, man. <laughs> so, Tony, yeah. you know, you're coming from, so as we just talked to Sonny, uh, and that's why I think it's cool, like, having the two generations, the kind of experiences they have in the competitive world are pretty drastically different because of how martial arts evolves so much, right? You got look, you're looking at, you're looking at people talk about Kajukembo and I have that podcast of what is Kajukembo and it's like got all this stuff about, it's got a mix, it's got this, it's got that. But one of the things that's really not talked about too much is how, if you're in an art like Kajukembo or, or if you're in a sport like MMA that didn't really come out till way later, like you were saying you were fighting illegally, right? Because there was that period, if you followed, um, I forgot, I think it's called Blood and Sweat. That's a book I read about the history of the UFC, how yeah. how it was pretty much illegal. Like like you just said, they, they the government petitioned against it. And but it doesn't mean that people weren't doing it. And if you talk to Kaja Kimball guys in the island in Hawaii, like it was happening the whole time, even though the government was like, no, you can't do this. It's not sanctioned. Blah, 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 blah. And they're having that discussion. And really, by the time the public finally sees UFC one, they finally see their first legal 
we'll put real big air quotes on this legal MMA match. But like before that, it was already happening. And um, I talked to Hackleman about this. He was talking about how in Hawaii, and you were coming out from Hawaii, how they were having those open tournaments, like you were saying with the Kung Fu guys. And they were like, they kept expanding the rules to start including takedowns and submissions because they had they were doing the same mm. judo guys versus a kickboxing that kind of stuff so how is that happening coming from hawaii tony how is that happening over there like do we, like how was martial arts evolving and how did how did you experience that like how did how what i don't know if i'm looking for asking for about well, i guess your opinion too how, how did you see that evolution what are your thoughts on that evolution how do you experience how did you experience that you know, that's a very interesting question because I left the islands when I was around 10 years old. Of course, I did train for a short while from about seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Come to California, that little evolution, it kind of changed. We grew up in L.A., well, stayed a while in L.A., then we moved north to Northern California. And dad was always willing to go out, share his ideas so that the other person can share theirs. So... We'd go with that to all these different schools, different styles. And to me, it was just, okay, here we go with that again to some other karate guy's school to go learn something. So my brother and I would tag along and whatever dad did with their instructor, we would copy them. So, you know, we're just copying basically without knowing who they are. But I do remember as I grew up, it'd be like with Charles Gaylord, with Al Riz, with uh, Abuna, with... um, uh, oh, Aldo Coscos, Bill Owens, um, Tim Louie, you know, guys like that. We'd go train and learn, get this little background. And next thing you know, dad adds the Chuan Fa part, the soft style to our Kaju Kimball style. So now we've incorporated the soft style dances and we primarily worked with Aldo Coscos and Bill Owens on dad creating those. So now that's what we teach. It's, it's not a big program, but it is there, it does exist. So we maintain that just like he d- did with the concentration dances that he also created. Um, but yeah, growing up and watching the evolution, as you just mentioned. So I saw how rough and tough dad was brutal in Hawaii. We come to California, it kind of softened down. Now, this trip you brought up the uh, uh, the uh, legal aspects because I re- there was a newspaper article Dad was on the Senate floor with some other uh, uh, Senate leader or somebody, and they were talking about weapons, nunchaku sticks, Filipino sticks, and, and all this. And Dad was trying to let them see how safe it is, but there was so much opposition that they lost on the floor at that time. And now I, at a young age, you know, I was probably 18, 19 years old when I got my black. 22 years old when I got my black, sorry. And next thing you know, I'm registered in the state of California as a deadly weapon from that point on. But I don't know how that law is being carried today because I, I, there's so many black belters out there. I, I, it would overwhelm the, the government in any case. So back then, and I was, like I said, that would probably be in the 70s when that occurred, when dad went on the Senate floor. Um, so we, we had to lighten up and all these rules came about how if you make contact, you draw blood, you're out, you're done. So we had to adjust. So it turned into the, what kind of was termed like everybody was playing tag. Okay? So it was just, you open your hand, touch the guy, you got a point. And, and it got there. 
Okay, so I trained, we fought, we adjusted to fight a little nicer, I, I'm going to say. I moved back to Hawaii in 1988 with my family because I wanted my kids to learn what Hawaii's life was, very similar to what my dad did to move us here. He moved us here for education. I brought my kids back for the culture. They had a whole different... I know they appreciate it because, you know, we go to tournaments then. Actually, it's still like that now. It's brutal. If we fought the way we fight in Hawaii's tournaments, we'd be disqualified at every tournament here in California. I'm not joking. They still fight the old school way. Real brutal. They'll punch your head off, turn your twist your head. And if you're standing up and you got hit, well, that's your bad. The other guy gets the point. Here, we went to a tournament, and this is honest to God true. One of my black belters fought. The other guy's black belters, coach says, time goes to referee and says, he's hitting too hard. We're like, huh? What? We all looked at each other like, stunned. They're for real. We're in the black belt division. And we're hitting too hard. So we had to lighten up. So make the adjustment again. So now we get the school going here in California my, with my buddies and friends. And one of them is a top-ranked fighter, Shannon Apple. He was one of the founders right here in Sassoon, where we started our school, along with my cousin, Jerry Corpus, and my best friend, Frank Umipay. So we opened up the school we, Shannon kept telling me, you got to change the style, the way you fight, because you will be DQ'd every fight. Well, I'm going to, I tell him, well, then that's our trophy. That's our trophy. If we get disqualified, we just won. Okay. You can go ahead and play tag if you want. That was the mentality back then. So, and it, it kind of still is for us. We still fight that old school way, trying to even old school, but it's still brutal. So. Just as the closing, we're at a promotion and my son is going up for his degree. My uncle John is there present and and it must have been over 50 black belters, including the Emperados was up here for his promotion. They come over and they go, wow, I can't believe it. I see your father fighting. That was amazing. That was your dad fighting. But that was my son fighting in a modern day uh, today, in modern times. And so I was like, thank you, uncle. I appreciate that. Then he's not the only one. I had other black belters from the back in the 70s, late 60s and the 70s going, that's how it's supposed to be in a broken English, right? Like that, that's how it's supposed to be. Like, oh man, okay, I'm going to keep going the way I'm going. There's no change here. So we stick to the roots. Whatever dad taught me, I'm going to teach it the same way. So what's happening is we're going to have our students learn what they taught back in the 50s and 60s, put that in, but adjusting so you can have two ways to do the same thing. Our way, the way you taught from back in those days, and the way we had to adjust it. So, for example, we'd have a trick, a 1 and a 1A, or a 2 and a 2A. So they know one comes from the grassroots and the other one is a modified version. Uh, and that's kind of the philosophy that I'd like to maintain and continue to maintain. And you know what? My son's doing that too. But what I really like is the fact that he is 
working on his black and jujitsu, he's or these clothes, and then all the other styles, he's making sure that he's an expert because we're not going to teach watered down styles and forms when we reverse engineer Kaju Kenbo, that which is what my son did, which is a big task, right? And other arts don't ask us to do that. If you start doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you will be doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And you start right. and get to focus on this, start from the fundamentals, start working out how to escape, and you start adding reversals, start adding more submissions as you work through the system. And maybe, maybe they'll ask you to do no gi. But most of the time, they're focusing, like you said, they put the gi on for the first time. Most of the time, they're going to focus on mm-hmm. the gi. And then your option is to go no gi, or your option is to also go maybe MMA. But those are options. They're not... Mm-hmm. They're not forced on you, depending. Well, most places they don't force it on you. But in Kajakembo, we could get in that acronym. <laughs> we get in that acronym about day one and told, hey, you got to be at least proficient in all these things. Maybe you don't have to be an expert, but you at least have to be proficient before. If you want to get your black belt, you got to be there proficient in this, in, this, in this acronym. And then it's up to you to figure out what that acronym means. Because <laughs> like, it can be a lot. <laughs> it can mean a lot depending on your instructor. And it can be a lot depending on what you want to use it for. Like Sonny got into MMA. So now you're trying to figure out, well, how do I adjust? How do I adjust my Kajikambo in, in a place where I'm not allowed to do certain things that I'm allowed to do in Kajikambo? Like even no matter how rough MMA can get, depending on, this, on the event, some places won't allow a stomp to the head. Some places won't allow right. a soccer kick when the guy's mm-hmm. on the ground. So they might say, hey, I know in Japan, they were like, hey, you got to, you no, no, no. For the amateur division, we're taking out ground and pound. You can only do grappling and you can't punch him in the face. You got to punch him in the body. I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of adjustment. Like, right. That's a lot of adjustment yeah, that needs to get done right now. So now going with that in mind, Sonny, how are you now adjusting? Like, how are you, like, he, your dad just mentioned you're working now on getting your black belt in Brazilian oh. Jiu-Jitsu. But how are you adjusting your Kajikambo? to try to mold it because you said you're coaching too so i'm assuming you're coaching mma as well is that right yeah mm-hmm. I'm, a, uh, um, I'm a professional mma coach uh here in california well throughout the united states you know my guys compete um on ufc fight pass once twice a month um we're all over the place you know a1 combat with your eye favor cage warriors uh we fought bellator in Hawaii, San Jose. Um, so as far as my professionals goes, you know, they're, they're pretty, we're pretty well established, uh, in our region, um, uh, as well as our amateurs. Um, so, you know, to get to the beginning, you know, transitioning from Kaji Campbell into MMA back when I was fighting, you know, um, it was tough, you know, cause we, you know, the, the groundwork, you know, it was different, you know, um, so I learned the hard way. I lost 100% of my fights due to submission. <laughs> uh, well, the fights that I did lose anyways was because of submission. Um, but um, so as far as like developing, you know, uh, style, you know, I mean, I try to take that philosophy of, you know, use what works and you know try to eliminate what doesn't but i let the individual fighter kind of figure that out so we don't really have a set style we have you know our own little system as far as our mma guys go 
um, with certain techniques and the guys kind of plug and play. Um, but for our Hodge program, um, you know, I don't want to disrespect, you know, any other individual art. Um, so until I actually earn my black belt in jujitsu, I'm not going to start actually implementing any type of jujitsu um, into our college curriculum. Um, but it is actually a plan of mine. Um, you know, when that happens is when it happens. I'm in no rush. Like my dad said, he got his black belt when he was 22. I got mine when I was 30, <laughs> you know, so I'm in no rush. Um, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I am, I, I understand uh, fully and, you know, I've, I've earned, you know, the right to be able to teach somebody, you know, modern Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely in the works for me personally is to add our own, you know, jiu-jitsu um, aspect, modern jiu-jitsu aspect into the curriculum. Um, but for our fighters, you know, we train everything, you know, we train everything. A lot of my guys, well, actually all of my guys, you know, they come from with, you know, a little bit of high school wrestling and then, you know, they want to transition and fight MMA, never been punched in their face in their lives, you know? So um, with my base, you know, I'm, I'm more of a striker base, you know? So that's kind of our, our quote unquote style, I guess you could say, but you know, my guys, you know, I'm not the jiu-jitsu instructor at my dojo. You know, I have a black belt in jiu-jitsu instructor um, at the dojo. So, you know, we learn from him and we exchange ideas and we figure it out, man. You know, we just we just figure it out and we tailor um, tailor our fighters, you know, just like a tailor with a suit to fit them, you know, what feels good to them, um, what works well for them and, you know, the things that don't work well, we just, we have to make it good enough to the specific opponent, you know, who are we fighting? What is that guy's background? You know, where are we possibly going to go? And if it's going to be where we're not comfortable, you know, how do we able to combat that and be able to transition into putting ourselves in a, uh, where we're more comfortable and putting ourselves in the advantage. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, I enjoy it because it's like, the art of fighting without fighting type of thing where I'm not the one getting my ass kicked all the time. And I get to play that game of like, okay, you know, let's do this. Let's try that. How does this feel? You know, figure this out, bring guys in from other gyms, you know, and just kind of picking each other's brain. We have a pretty good affiliation um, out here in the Bay area of, you know, smaller privately owned gyms. Um, and we bounce around and we feed off of each other. So yeah, it's, it's fun, man. It, it's fun. It's challenging. And, um, you know, trying to keep up and, and as, as your guys further develop, you know, the, the competition only gets better. Um, so, you know, we're hitting at that stage now. Um, I think we're in about our second going on third generation of fighters on the team. Um, and the guys are all getting better and, you know, their competition is getting better um, and they're looking to get onto that bigger stage. Um, so, yeah, we enjoy it, man. We, we enjoy it. And um, the guys, you know, I, I feel like, <clears throat> you know, coming up, it was always like, oh, is this guy a fighter? Is this guy a martial artist? You know, um, but, you know, our guys, I, I, I truly believe, you know, although they don't 
put a Kaj belt or a gi, and they don't specifically train Kaj. Uh, they do have a strong Kaj base. I try to get them in the class, but, you know, they're like, yeah, there's like 90% kids in there. <laughs> um, but a lot of stuff that I teach them and show them, you know, you know, uh, theoretically and, and, you know, um, discipline wise and, and stuff like that come, uh, that's the entire base of it, you know, system wise skill set, you know, MMA, you know, we piece those things together, but the base of what we do, even our fight team without them even knowing is, is a lot of college. That's really cool. Yeah. Like I think, um, yeah, I really like, like I said, I haven't done a podcast like this with that. I have two generations. So I think it's really cool to kind of be, have the listener be able to kind of see both. You can kind of see that evolution in the way you both describe your martial arts journeys, which I think is really cool. Now, exactly. I'm about to wrap things up. And normally I ask one question, but I don't want you two fighting over how to answer the question. So I'm going to ask <laughs> two different questions. I'm, I'm not going to fight. That <laughs> Yeah, that's why I'm going to give you two different questions. No, 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 I'm going to ask two different questions. So excuse me while I formulate this in my head. Okay. Tony, what would you, what's your advice on if someone wants to try uh, a new martial art what kinds of things should they be looking for if they when they walk into a place what kinds of things do you, what kind of things do you think they should be looking for if they're looking for a, a martial art place to train at a while ago while we're training there was this man that would come to the door not come in but stand at the door and watch and then he disappeared he did that for about a month month and a half Finally, one day he joined and said, I just want to train because I like what you guys are doing. So he's training. Then he goes, we start to talk. This is like three months in. And I go, so what brought you here? And he goes, I like your school because you're the only school that prays. Can you believe that? Then I find out he's a pastor. He, he's been wanting to do martial arts all his life. Since he was a little kid, but he said he went to every school in the area and he went around twice and he kept coming back to us. And he said, you guys pray. And the prayer in there where it says, and to keep others mindful of thy commandments, hit home. It struck a bell. So that right there tells you the good in what we do, assuming is being taught with right teachings. Okay. So my, my, belief in, in what people would look for is they have to sit and watch. Then they'll be able to make their evaluation. We've had parents tell us, wow, we need to have people come in here to learn parenting skills because we teach heavy on discipline and respect. And that comes first. And there are rules and the rules cannot be broken. And even the parents are held accountable. And they're like, whoa, this is a whole different ballgame. You know, here, you, it's not baseball. You go sit in the stands and watch your kid play ball. No, man, their parents has to make a commitment also. So we talked to them about that. Sonny was just talking about that yesterday, about parents having to buy in with what we're doing. And if they believe 
their kids will go far. And we believe that too. And they have. That was kind of a, just one thing that, well, from one perspective, then the other's perspective would be, yes, I like our style because they get to watch this mat train karate. Then at the end of that session, they just turn their head to the right and they'll watch the jujitsu guys. When that class ends, they can turn back to the left and watch the boxing guys and then turn their head back over to the right and watch the judo guys. Then we got parents going, you know what? I want to have my kids do all four of them. So we got little seven-year-old kids up to adults jumping from one class to the other. And then they finally find a home with Kaji Kimball because they saw how it can kind of come together. And that's the marrying of the two. I thought that was very brilliant. What my son did was reverse engineer it and still tie it together into Kaji Kimball. And it still is Kaji Kimball. He just took it apart and reassemble it. And it gets taken apart and reassemble it. I love that concept. I was uh, impressed with that, to say the least, just to see how it changed. Because dad's days, no, nah, it was brutal. You when, when you watch and you stood and watch, and people come and watch in different classes because they hear how brutal it was in our training. But we'd have promotions where we'd use a real knife. And I've seen a guy froze put his hands up rather than move and the knife go right through his hands. And the good thing he did that because it would have went into his belly. And the guy would turn, look at dad, hide his hands behind his back. Like, what do I do? Here's dad. We're wearing white geese, splatter blood all over his back. He's finishing the trick. It finally is done. Dad satisfied. He goes, okay, go hospital. That was that. He was just like that. Oh, look at his fingers dislocated. He'll grab it. Just <clears throat> okay, go back, drain. That was that. Brutal as it got. Sonny took the brunt of it because dad told me that's his namesake. He's going to pay. But I know what he meant because in the belief in our prayer, talking with that pastor, we teach children and dad's always told me teach the kids the parents supposed to know in his broken english in his philosophy teach the kids the parents supposed to know the adults supposed to know he always told me that and as i got older i was like oh in the bible it says lead the children because the children will lead the way and they will not depart from you i was like that's heavy man because once they learn the art that becomes a part of their life and they're going to go ahead and train according to and teach according to what they just learned what as a child and they grow into an adult yeah dad's belief in how to teach was kind of out there i to me in my opinion looking back on it today as brutal as it was he was on the advanced stage you know he he took us to me and my brother to bruce lee's dojo and they exchanged ideas and this was before bruce lee ever was really famous i would say it was mid 60s the late 60s and my brother and i like i said we just copy what their my dad and bruce lee would do what was so cool we come down into his dojo walk in it was like a cellar and there he is sitting down with his legs crossed with a 35 pound bar you know for weightlifters and just sitting there what looked like elbow strike and just waiting for us patiently so we just wait when he finally get up he'd recognize us we'd make 
nice greetings, and then we start training. It was beautiful. But I didn't know it was Bruce Lee. I just thought he was just another black belt guy that dad wants me and my brother to go train. He would rather go ride our bicycle down the street, but he made us go with him. That was our background and what our belief in training comes from all that, those teachings. So it got easy for me on what to teach and what people need to watch. Because we tell the people, you will be held accountable. We hold your parents accountable. The kids are gonna be held accountable and they just need to understand the difference. And that's kind of what we do. We make them understand the difference. All right, so that's, there it is. If I can boil that down, if you're gonna look for a new place, Watch what's going on in that place and make sure that's what you, what, if it has the values and the ethics that you're looking for. Now, Sonny, yeah, 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 for a different question, like I said, I was going to ask two different questions. <laughs> so I'm going to ask my second question. A lot of Kaiju Kempo guys want to add MMA programs. Um, and some of them have them, some of them don't. Avoiding anything political or telling anybody else what to do or how to do it. <laughs> How, what would be your uh, advice for a Kaju Campbell guy who doesn't have an MMA program? I have one, but for anyone else who doesn't, how would you, what's your advice for them to get started with an MMA program? Um, what would be your advice on things they might be able to do to start that if they don't have one already? Like if they want to, they have a guy come in who says, I want to do MMA. What is your advice to try to help them help that person? Um, if you want to start an MMA program, you know, honestly, I, at the dojo, we don't have an MMA program per se. We have a fight team. Um, so we have fight, fight team training. That's completely separate from our, uh, our actual, um, our programs, um, our fight. We don't have like a class that's an MMA class that people sign up for. Um, the way I do it is if somebody wants to come and they say, hey, you know, I want to fight MMA. So I ask them first off, like, you know, what is your experience? Um, and if it's zero, then I ask them, well, how do you, how do you envision yourself winning a fight how do you you know want to win a fight do you want to knock somebody out do you want to choke somebody you know and based on that i tell them okay well you want to knock this guy out then you're going to train boxing kickboxing for your first six months to a year and you're going to compete in it um and we're going to see how committed you actually are to becoming an mma fighter um, and then if, you know, they envision themselves, you know, choking people or tapping people out and submitting people and I say, okay, well, you're going to train jujitsu until you get your blue belt. Um, and then we'll see how committed you are to becoming an MMA fighter. Um, all my guys, and that's kind of the approach that I've had, uh, personally, um, with my guys, you know, I kind of have them envision what they want to accomplish and I guide them in that direction um, to create a base for them. And then, um, you know, once they are competing in that individual art, you know, for maybe six months to a year, depending on how quickly they grow, um, that's when we start adding in, you know, 
the other arts to complement what their base is. Um, and then once they're proficient enough in their complements, that's when we start putting in putting them in amateur MMA fights. Um, and then, you know, however long it takes for them to become, you know, professional fighters is up to the individual and, and the commitment. Um, but my advice for somebody um, that only has a Kaji Campbell dojo and they don't have an MMA program and if they have not actually competed in MMA, honestly, my advice would be don't do it. Uh, you're putting people in danger <laughs> um, because, you know, not one person has all the answers. Um, if you only have a Kaji Kembo school and you want to do MMA, um, you're going to need to bring in people um, and you're going to have to open up your, your, your mind to bringing in, you know, higher level, you know, individual coaches um, and teachers mm -hmm. that are going to be able to help guide this person, individual, this fighter, um, and teach them, you know, what they need to know from every aspect. Um, because it's, it's dangerous, you know, like we spoke earlier, there's, there's not a lot, a lot of longevity. Um, there's a lot of risk. The, the, the risk reward is, is terrible. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's not for everybody, you know, it's glorified and all this, this and that, but it's a serious thing. You know, I take it very, very seriously, um, personally, um, because, you know, with, when I came up fighting, you know, I, I learned the hard way and I, and I didn't have all the right, you know, teaching. I didn't have the right guidance. I didn't have the right mentors. I didn't have the, the network to get into, you know, uh, fighting. I mean, even the politics of fighting, like, like if you don't have, if you have guys that are coming to your gym to do, to fight MMA, it's like, do you know any MMA promoters? Do you know any MMA matchmakers? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's important because you might be getting set up, you know, as what they're calling tomato cans, right? And, and you're putting you up against this super high level guy and you don't even know it, you know? So how well are you versed in the background of MMA as well, you know, as far as, promotions events you know how linkedin is your network you know um so there's a lot of variables um but if you're just looking to do you know not at a competitive uh, um program and you want to add in mma you know I, I i would recommend you know going out and and finding at least you know somebody that can complement your college whether it be you know a, a wrestler a uh, a jujitsu guy, you know, a judo guy, and then you can kind of start expanding from there, um, and creating your own style or way of doing things. But you know, mm -hmm. again, just to reiterate, if if you're starting an MMA program to compete, and you really want to get these guys because they come in hungry and they have this vision of becoming professional, high level paid, you know, athletes. Um, yeah, I, I would actually, you know, if, if you don't have a background in it, I, I would, I personally would say don't do it and send them to somewhere you, you know, that they're going to get taken care of the right way. Um, especially if they have really, really high, 
high goals and, and um, stuff like that, that, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and it's okay to, to, to put your ego down uh, for the betterment of this, this person, this individual that's looking to get to a high level of competition. Mm. Yeah, yeah and it's, that's, I think you made a really good point. I had, a, I had some kids come in here. They wanted to do kickboxing, which I've done. I'm like, all right, cool. We'll do some kickboxing. And that's what they said they said wanted to do. Then halfway through their kickboxing journey, they changed their mind. They're like, no, no, I want to do boxing. And I went, whoa, I've never, I've never boxed. I box, I'll spar. I've sparred boxers. I've trained with boxers. But I have personally never stepped in the ring and competed in boxing. So I recommend you go somewhere else. Now, Absolutely. on the same token, I had a professional boxer who already had a professional boxing background. He liked what I was doing, and he asked me to hold to do it to, co to coach him. I'm like, okay, I'm not. Again, I I told him I'm not a professional boxer. Professional boxer coach, I black belt Kaji Kambo, and um, and a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That's my skill set. That's where I'm at. So I will try my best to be the best coach or instructor to you. But know that this is who I am. Be, be transparent. Just be honest. That's, that's, I think that's, that's the best thing. Just be honest. And then honest. with your skill set. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, like those kids. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. They, and they did. They went to that pro boxer that that wants I'm going to be cornering. I'm not telling them. I don't know. Why, why do you want me to corner you, man? Like, why don't you have one of the guys? Like, no, no, I, I want you there because I like you. And I'm like, all right, cool. If that's, that's what you want, I'll mm -hmm. be there for you. Um, but those same kids, they, they go to his boxing gym and their his their boxing coach is under them. And I have no problem with that. I told him, hey, why are you going to be here doing Kajikembo? And I love Kajikembo. And come back. The door is open to come back and learn how to defend yourself in a, in a full art that will help you in a self-defense situation. But if your goal is to be a professional boxer, go to a boxing gym. They have I don't have any boxing connections. I go to a boxing gym. And that's, that's the whole deal. Like they, It's not. Uh, for anybody listening, because I, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Because anybody listening right now, be like, "What well, I can do it or whatever." It, it's not an attack to you. You can do both. Like, there's no rule. And I tell the guys all, all the time. They come in here, and they say, uh, "Oh, I want, but I want to do this." I told them, "Look, I'm not strict. You want to go do boxing and come here on a Tuesday and do something? I don't say that you. I don't own you. <laughs> so you want to do Kaji Kembo? Right. You want to go do boxing?" You know, there's so many hours in a day, but if you show up once a week, I don't mind. I don't, I'm not saying you can't do both. Now, if you say your time schedule can't, I don't, again, it's not on, it's not, um, it's not a big deal. It's not like it has to, it has to be one way or the other. So yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. Just keep, nice. keep it in your skill set. Right. All right, everyone. We just wrapped up. About an hour. I, I said I'd try to keep it. <laughs> I didn't say that though. I said 30 minutes, but yeah, it's still under an hour. So I want to thank everyone for checking out this episode of Social Journal. I want to thank my guests, Tony and Sunny, for coming out and just sharing their martial arts journeys. It was really cool seeing it from two generations, two different perspectives. That was really cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to come out. And then after a one hour podcast, because I'm such a backwards guy, I'm going to tell you to please subscribe to my podcast. Should have said that first. But, but I'd like to say, if you stuck around this long, you really enjoyed it. So you really should subscribe <laughs> and share this with your friends. And, um, yeah, I'll catch you all next time. All right, brother. <laughs>